Welcome to WOMA's series on occupational and environmental medicine updates, where today we are speaking with Dr. Robert Blink on COVID-19 presumption laws, occupational medicine practice, and employers, what you need to know. My name is Dr. David Corretto, and I am today's moderator. WOMA is the Western Regional Component of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. WOMA podcasts are a benefit for WOMA members to stay current on topics of interest to occupational and environmental medicine physicians. The WOMA Education Committee members involved in planning this session have no relevant financial relationships to disclose. Dr. Blink reports no conflicts of interest. In May 2020, California Governor Gavin Newsom enacted an executive order that created a COVID-19 workers' compensation presumption for any employee who worked outside the home during the statewide shelter-in-place order. Prior to this executive order, under the California workers' compensation system, employees need to present medical evidence that their illness or injury was related to work to establish causality that the workplace caused their illness or injury. This new executive order stated that any covered worker who contracted COVID-19 would be automatically presumed to be work-related without the employee having to provide any further proof. This order expired on July 5th, 2020. In response to this, the California legislator put forth two COVID-19 presumption bills, SB 1159 and AB 685, which were signed into law on September 17th and are in effect through January 1st, 2023. Today, Dr. Robert Blink will share with us the top things occupational medicine clinicians and employers should know about COVID-19 presumption laws. Dr. Robert Blink is the medical director of Worksite Partners Medical Group in San Francisco, California. Dr. Blink serves as medical director, consulting physician to nationwide employers, large case management and provider networks, hospitals, and joint labor management health and retirement programs. He staffs and supervises workplace on-site clinics, provides occupational and environmental medicine litigation support, and conducts educational outreach to employers, labor and community groups. Dr. Blink is co-chair of the ACOM Council on Occupational and Environmental Medicine Clinical Practice. Welcome Dr. Blink, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Thank you, Dr. Corretto. I'm happy to be here and um, hoping that we can shed some light on these important changes in California workers' comp law that providers, employers, insurers, and workers need to be aware of. Now, Dr. Blink, before we discuss California COVID presumption laws, um, can you give a brief overview on what are the factors that traditionally support presumption within employee populations, say, for example, oncologic disorders in the firefighting population? Well, thank you, David. Um, the presumption issue is not a medical one, and it's not really even a scientific one. It is a decision by the legislature to handle certain medical issues outside of the medical scientific realm for reasons related to uh, a balance between um, science and procedural um, efficiency and perhaps fairness. So uh, essentially, you know, WOMA is not in favor of uh, presumption in general um, because it is not scientific, but there are certain issues where, in fact, the legislature has decided to, to make it so, and this is one because COVID is new 
and there are a lot of people affected, and the science surrounding uh, analysis, uh, especially when this is first being discussed, was perhaps not quite so clear. So that it has happened, and so it's our role really not to judge um, whether that was correct or not, but just to find out how do we deal with it. And certainly that speaks to the fact that here we are in uncharted territories. Um, with California recently signed into law the two COVID presumption bills um, being SB 1159 and AB 685, I'd first like to start with SB 1159. As we know, uh, SB 1159 expands access to workers' compensation and makes it easier for first responders, healthcare workers, and employees who test positive due to an outbreak at work to receive necessary medical care and wage replacement benefits. For occupational medicine clinicians, how does SB 1159 change the identification, treatment, and reporting of employees who test positive for COVID-19? SB 1159 has um, several different parts. So the first portion, it essentially is enshrines what the governor declared um, covering all essential workers who were the only ones who were supposed to be um, working at their employer's direction up until July 5th. Uh, so that's no change. It simply endorses that. Second piece is the covering safety personnel. So police, fire, emergency responders uh, following July 5th and going till the end of 2022. The third piece has to do with health workers, which covers the vast majority of health workers in um, all kinds of different health settings who may have increased exposure to, to risk. And that again goes to the end of 2022. And then the last piece is the part that I think is the uh, trickiest for providers, employers, and employees to uh, understand and adapt to. And that's concerning all other employers in the state when there is a quote, outbreak, end quote. So the outbreak definition is if an employer has essentially 4% of its workforce or more that comes down with COVID in a 14-day rolling period. If it's less than 100 employees in a given workplace, then it's four employees, regardless of how many employees are in that workplace. And the determination of exactly what a case is, is given in some moderate detail, essentially uh, defining which test results must be positive, uh, et cetera. But the essentials of the provision is that uh, are that the employer must track any employee who is diagnosed with COVID-19 and report that case to their workers' comp insurer. And there's no requirement that this be a workers' compensation claim. There's no requirement that the case be from work or off work or any other determination of causation, just if an employer becomes aware or should be aware that one of their employees has COVID-19, they have to report that to their workers' compensation carrier. The workers' compensation carrier in turn is required to keep a rolling 14-day period calculation of how many employees in a given workplace are have, have been diagnosed and whether that exceeds the threshold of 4% or four employees, depending on the size of the workforce. If they exceed that threshold, then that constitutes an outbreak. 
If you have an outbreak in your workplace, then all the employees who are diagnosed during that 14-day period are presumed to have obtained that infection out of the course of their employment. So it's a complicated arrangement, um, and one can ask whether, in fact, you are catching um, people who indeed got infected at work or not, but that is the system that we have to work with now. And some of the challenges to that are that it essentially puts a burden of case tracking onto the employer who may have no experience with this at all. And it puts the burden of essentially an epidemiologic survey of a sort on the workers' comp insurer, which is a new requirement as well. So there's no provision in the law as to how these entities can obtain expert advice. But certainly, I and Wilma recommend that that they get appropriate advice on how to do these things if they don't have that expertise in-house. One of the issues here is that this is not a solid presumption. In other words, it is rebuttable. So there's a, there's, you can have an absolute um, presumption, meaning that if you meet these criteria, it's workers' comp, forget it, you have no way of contesting it or it is rebuttable. In this case, it is a rebuttable presumption. So if you have an employee who is presumed to have gotten COVID at the workplace and therefore has a valid workers' compensation claim for that disease, but if you have good reason to believe that in fact they were more likely to have been infected outside of the workplace, then you can present evidence to the workers' compensation system that in fact this, should, this claim should be rejected. So there are two specific issues that are identified in the bill that um, can be used, although other arguments can be used as well. One is what preventive measures are in place at the workplace to help protect the employees. And the second is any evidence you have of non-workplace exposures for that employee. And there may be other arguments to be made as well as in terms of what the timeline is of exposure, when symptoms began, et cetera. In other words, was it actually more likely than not that it happened at the workplace? But unless you can prove to a reasonable degree of certainty that the infection did not come from the workplace but came from somewhere else, then it is assumed to be work-related. Regardless of the avenue um, by which services are provided, these may be individuals who actually do require medical care. So uh, whether it's workers' comp or not, uh, we should certainly help assist them to uh, make sure they're taken care of. AB 685 is, is different and um, needs to be considered separately. I, thank you for that uh, very thorough overview. overview. As a uh, practicing occupational medicine clinician, I have two initial thoughts. My first thought is a bit of trepidation because, as you mentioned, this is a departure then uh, a, a bit from what we normally do in clinic with routine occupational medicine care. But then that's quickly followed by excitement because in a lot of ways what you're speaking to are those key epidemiologic principles and public health nature of what we do as occupational medicine physicians and clinicians. So it's really exciting to be able to have that opportunity as we're working with patients to kind of tap into that side of our training as well. You mentioned AB uh, 685 and this one does tend to be more, uh, appears to be more directed towards employers as this law ensures timely notification to employees and public health officials of COVID-19 cases in the workplaces. What are some of the suggestions for employers to maintain compliance with AB 685? 
Well, AB 685, as you say, is primarily for employers and how they must behave uh, regarding their interactions with their workers. Um, and specifically, they, uh, they have to make reasonable efforts to track cases in their employees. And I think that even though the wording is different, the requirement that an employer be aware of COVID infections in their workers, regardless of cause, and that they, they either know or should know about that. The second piece is that they should determine where, what the work area is for the employee. And this is a little different from 1159. The wording is different. So in 1159, the 4% rule applies to a specific work site. Um, and so that could be a given building or a given laboratory or a given agricultural field where the employees are. Better definition is really not included. So does it mean that one floor of the building can be considered or does it have to be the entire building? There's a lot of variability and uncertainty there. In 685, similarly, there's no real good definition of what a work area is. But I think an employer would be well advised to think about that in advance of any cases. Secondly, probably want to think about if you have cases, how are you going to communicate that to your employees, maybe create templates and plans for communication to the employees as required. What are the employer responsibilities during an outbreak? So the uh, legislation also specifies that in addition to actions an employer must take when they become aware of a COVID case in one of their employees, they also need to be taking other actions if a so-called outbreak occurs uh, amongst their employees at a, uh, at a given uh, work area. Uh, the definition of an outbreak has not yet been defined. That needs to be done by the California Depart Department of Public Health. Uh, but if an outbreak occurs, then the employer must report all known cases to the local health officer. And this is important because it actually brings legislative requirements that the local health officer be brought into the occasion. There's also a requirement that the employer must uh, publish outbreak information. Um, the, uh, the CDPH must publish that outbreak information by industry. Many other states have passed COVID-19 presumption laws. And for example, Utah House Bill 3007. How are some of these laws, um, in your opinion, similar or different to those in California? Well, I'm not an expert on the Utah law, uh, Dr. Corretto, but my, basically what it is in Utah is that under certain circumstances, a rebuttable presumption is established that a first responder who contracts COVID-19, presumption is that they, they got it during the course of performing the first responder's duties. It establishes a date because the workers' compensation system needs to um, have a date attached to the claim. And then it has certain elements about the, uh, the amount of benefits. So certainly this is an unfolding uh, process that we'll see not only in California, but also nationally. I guess my last question then speaks to how can clinicians develop a framework for assessing COVID-19 presumption in their patients and in advising their employer clients? Great question. So I don't think in, in many respects, the way that clinicians respond to the, these changes is not very different from the way that we work with causation in other realms. The major difference is that the insurers themselves will be accepting claims that 
perhaps do not have the same level of detail in terms of a causation analysis. But basically what you want to do is somebody has a COVID-19 claim for work-related causation. Number one, what were their symptoms? Just like you would with anything else. Number two, what tests were done to verify whether it was indeed a COVID-19 infection? Then probably want to get into what exposures did they have in the workplace? And also a description of what their possible exposures have been outside of the workplace and then form an opinion as to causation, whether the employer or the insurer requests your opinion on the case is, I think, to be determined. Um, but I think that it is part of our duties to form our own opinion. And um, at least if there is an issue of whether the claim should be rebutted or not from a scientific basis, I think we have a, a right and possibly a duty to, to volunteer that. And then finally, to assist all stakeholders to the correct conclusion, and especially with attention to assuring that the injured or ill worker gets the help that they need. Dr. Blink, thank you for joining us today for this insightful conversation, highlighting from a big picture the ecosystem of COVID presumption being the role that the employer plays in reporting, their relationships with the insurance carrier, and specifically how they can lean on the occupational medicine clinician to use all aspects of their practice from clinical medicine to public health to help facilitate this process and make sure that it goes smoothly. Thank you, Dr. Coretto. Happy to be here. Audience participants will find additional information on this topic next to the link for this podcast at www.woma.org. Join us on November 19th, 2020, at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a webinar with Dr. Robert Blink, Dr. Rupali Das, and Dr. Robert Harrison on COVID-19 presumption and clinical practice, where we will take a deeper dive into all of the issues and definitions discussed here today. Here, our subject matter experts will discuss the clinical, public health, and reporting aspects of COVID-19 presumption laws, information that will inform your clinical practice. Go to woma.org for registration for this upcoming webinar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd like to invite you to explore more. Please go to woma.org to view our current library and subscribe to the Woma podcast via your favorite podcast station, such as Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, or Stitcher. You will be notified as new podcasts become available. Subjects could include the latest clinical update, emerging treatments in medicine, or topics in public and environmental health. Stay tuned and don't miss out. On behalf of the WOMA Education Committee, the WOMA Board of Directors, and myself as moderator of this podcast, I want to sincerely thank our speaker, Dr. Robert Blink, and also thank those of you who listened. The goal of these WOMA podcasts is to update you on a topic of current interest to occupational medicine. We know that this topic raises many more questions, and we hope that this information will generate further interactions beyond this podcast. Till next time, be well.